All right, so last week, this past week, we uh, celebrated Christmas. Hope you guys all had just an awesome uh, Christmas holiday. It's an amazing time in history when God sent His Son Jesus incarnate. Um, And as incredible as Christmas is, as incredible as the incarnation is, Jesus' work on earth, His mission on earth, is just equally astounding. Uh, And today... We are going to receive an exhortation, a special exhortation, a special piece of encouragement to focus on what Jesus accomplished on earth and to reflect upon how that informs our daily lives. Um, Now, as a high school student uh, and later as a lit major in undergrad, I really strongly hated reading Shakespeare. Uh, I'm sure many of you can relate. It's the old English. It's tough to get through at times. But unfortunately, as a lit major, I had to read pages upon pages upon pages of Shakespeare's writing. I would uh, roll my eyes, take a deep breath, crack open the book, start reading, and I almost never enjoyed the experience. Uh, Then somewhere down the line, I read Shakespeare's play, Henry V, and my opinion sort of changed. You see, in this play, a young King Henry, a young English king, Uh, takes the throne, and he eventually decides he's going to invade France. Uh, So the English set sail, and they begin fighting their way through French towns and villages. And then they get to this port city of Harfleur. Uh, And it's just such a key strategic spot. And they get to Harfleur, and Henry attacks. The siege has begun. The fighting is super, super uh, intense. But if the English cause is going to advance, they need to make one more hard push in battle, win the city of Harfleur, so then they can just sweep, continue sweeping across uh, all of France. So it's the morning before this great battle, and the English are anticipating this just all-important fight with the French at Harfleur. So what does Henry do? Well, he doesn't just march them out there having said nothing He doesn't just give them a sort of -of run-of-the-mill, generic, final speech. Instead, Henry issues this passionate, this zealous exhortation to his soldiers. Once more into the breach, dear friends, once more. Or close the wall up with our English dead. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility. But... When the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood, disguise fair nature with hard-favored rage. We skip down a few lines. Now set the teeth and stretch the nostril wide. Hold hard the breath and bend up every spirit to its full height. On, on, you noblest English. For there is none of you so mean and base that hath not noble luster in your eyes. I see you stand like greyhounds in the slips, straining upon the start. The games of foot follow your spirit, and upon this charge cry, God for Harry, England, and St. George. This awesome exhortation. Henry is saying one more hard fight in battle. And I love this because Henry is not allowing them to give up. He's not allowing himself or his troops to give up. He's resolved 
to keep fighting. He exhorts them to fight like tigers, to summon up the blood and the rage needed for this all-important battle, to anticipate this war like greyhounds in the slips. So King Henry issues this exhortation, this powerful exhortation. And what happens? Well, inspired by his words, the English fight with this renewed strength. And they go out and they win victory. They, they win the battle over the French. You see, Henry's exhortation was this turning point. Hearing the exhortation stirred the soldiers' hearts to action. It awakened their fighting spirit. It moved them to press on. It inspired them to victory. Now, a good, hearty exhortation can have that effect on us. Our text for today is Hebrews 10, 19-25. Hebrews 10, 19-25, where the writer gives us an exhortation that just puts Shakespeare to shame. It's not an exhortation to fight some battle or some physical war. It's an exhortation to press on in the Christian life. It's an exhortation that will just serve us well if we respond to it in 2013. God's Word reads, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It is an amazing, an amazing exhortation for God's people, for you and for me. But it doesn't appear in isolation. This great, wonderful exhortation comes after a long argument about the supremacy of Christ and about the importance of His priestly ministry. Even there in verse 19, it starts off with this word therefore, which Josh always says, when you see therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? Uh, But therefore shows us that verse 19, which starts off this exhortation, is linking it to a previous argument. So we have to ask, what has happened in the book of Hebrews up until this point, which has brought us to this point of where we're able to receive this wonderful, meaningful, powerful exhortation? Well, the first nine chapters of the book of Hebrews are all about Jesus. The author makes repeated reference to Jesus' unique lordship, how he alone is higher than the angels, how he alone is greater than Moses, The writer also focuses in on how Jesus is our true great high priest and He is our supreme Savior. Now why is it significant that Jesus is our great high priest? Well, the Bible tells us that God's people broke covenant relationship with them, continually wandering away into sinfulness, right? We know that. So something had to be done in order for this holy God to dwell in the midst of this unholy people. So God gave the law. And according to the Mosaic law, sacrifices had to be made in order to atone for the people's sin so that they might be in a relationship of right standing with God. 
Now the priests had a vital part in that scheme. Uh, the priests would tell the people how to cleanse themselves, uh, what offerings to give when. Uh, they would dispense penalties for different types of transgression. And part of the priestly function was also to mediate the sacrifices made on behalf of the people. So once a year on the Day of Atonement, the priests would enter into the holy places, the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle or in the temple. They would solemnly cleanse themselves, ritually cleanse themselves. They would put on their priestly garments. They would enter into the Holy of Holies, this holy place in the tabernacle or in the temple, a place where only they were sanctioned to go this one day of the year. And they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. It's what a priest did. That's why Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. That these priests were acting on behalf of men in relation to God. That God's plan in the Old Testament was to set apart priests who would represent the people before God They would offer these sacrifices in atonement for the people's sin, keeping the people in right relationship with God. That's what a priest did. They acted as intercessors between God and man. And the book of Hebrews shows us that all along, God was planning to provide a great high priest who would offer an ultimate sacrifice once and for all that would truly atone for the people's sin. And that priest, as we learn, is Jesus Christ. That unlike these fallible priests, Jesus is higher and more perfect. And unlike these fallible priests, his priestly work, his priestly ministry is infinitely more meaningful and complete. And then we get to chapter 10, and the argument sort of shifts a little. And in chapter 10, the big idea is this, that the Old Testament law The Old Testament law required multiple repeated sacrifices that over and over again, year after year, these priests had to continually go and offer these sacrifices in atonement for the people's sin. And this very truth shows us how inadequate the law was to truly save the people and to truly restore relationship with God. That's why Hebrews 10.1 says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true, reality, or the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who, are drawn, who draw near. The law was inadequate because if those sacrifices made by the priests were totally adequate, they wouldn't need to make them over and over again, year after year. The law was inadequate because as we read there in chapter 10, verse 1, it could not ever make perfect those who drew near. And you know what else? God intended the law to be inadequate in those ways. He intended the Mosaic law to be inadequate in these ways. That's why John Piper tells us the inadequacy of the law was inherent in the law. The inadequacy of the law was inherent in the law. The law was not meant to be the perfect means of restoring relationship between sinners and God. It was meant to point, and this is important, the law was meant to point 
to a more perfect priest and a more perfect sacrifice who would truly, once for all, restore relationship between sinners and God. That priest, that sacrifice is Jesus Christ. So what the law could not perfect, as we read in chapter 10, verse 1, what earthly fallible priests could never achieve, Jesus Christ perfects. Chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, by one single offering, not repeated offerings every year, by, for by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the book of Hebrews shows us the preeminence of Christ over the flawed system of the law and the imperfect work of the priesthood. That Christ's priestly and sacrificial work, not the law or adherence to the law, is powerful to forgive, to cleanse, to save, to perfect, and to restore us. Only through Christ. But how is Jesus Christ a more perfect priest? What does His priestly work really mean for you and I day to day? Well, we come to this wonderful exhortation. And all of Christ's priestly work and the background which has led up to this is the foundation, what's holding this exhortation up. And we read right from the get-go in this wonderful exhortation in verse 19 that Jesus Christ has made access to God possible for us by the shedding of His blood. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. Blood had to be shed. A sacrifice, an ultimate sacrifice, had to be made in order to atone for our sins. That's why Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And why would that be true? It's because our sin is so offensive. It is so egregious. It is so despicable that the innocent blood of the pure Lamb shed for us is the only sacrifice truly powerful enough to atone for our sin. And here is Jesus, the perfect, the sinless Son of God who makes the ultimate sacrifice. He hangs on a cross, allows His body to be broken and His blood to be shed so that you and I might have forgiveness, that our sins might be atoned for once and for all. If you want to read an amazing text, read Hebrews 9, verses 12 to 14. We learn that Jesus Christ did not sacrifice the blood of bulls or calves like these Old Testament priests did. He sacrificed His own body. And He was perfect and He was sinless. And our perfect pre- as our perfect priest, he, He's just offered something so far beyond, so supreme, so ultimate that it was a once-for-all sacrifice on our behalf. And through this once-and-for-all sacrifice, Jesus Christ did perfectly for us what these Old Testament priests did imperfectly on behalf of the people. So now, Jesus Christ has offered Himself. His atoning work on the cross is so very applicable for each one of us that if we place saving faith in Jesus, you might be washed clean. You might receive forgiveness. You might receive eternal relationship with God. It's an amazing thing. And the text tells us that 
Jesus' priestly work doesn't stop there. Do you know that He not only sacrificed Himself as the ultimate sacrifice for you, but He also lives to intercede for you even now? Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus always lives to make intercession for you to the Father. So now we no longer need to go to an earthly priest to confess our sins to Him and have Him go to God on our behalf because we don't need that intermediary. Jesus Christ lives as our intercessor intercessor for all time. And because He sacrificed Himself, because He lives to intercede for us, we now have free access to God. An amazing thing. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. This is just so huge. Through Jesus, we have access into the holy places. These holy places which once were reserved only for a high priest to go enter once a year, you now have access to the holy presence of God. Now in the Bible, what made a place holy? Well, what made a place holy? It was one thing, because that is where the presence of God was. We see it as Moses talks to God at the burning bush in the book of Exodus. We see it as the priests enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple. That a place was only holy because that is where the presence of God was. And now we can freely enter into the presence of God. How is that for an exhortation? That is an amazing, amazing truth that we can just hold on to in 2013. In the Old Testament, we know that the Holy of Holies, this wonderful place where God was willing to condescend to dwell with His people, was sectioned off by a curtain. And the curtain in the temple separated the holy place from everything else. The temple or the curtain in the temple was an obstacle to the people's access to God. But now the text tells us that Jesus opened the curtain into the holy places for us, into his holy presence. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. That Jesus made a new and living way for us to pass through this obstacle into his holy presence. We have access to God because of what Jesus did for us, because of his priestly work here on earth. He made this ultimate sacrifice, and as a result, if you place faith in him, he no longer remembers your sin or your transgression. Just read chapter 10, verse 17. He no longer remembers your sin as grounds to condemn you. Instead, he sees Christ's righteousness, his perfect obedience, his pure sinlessness which has been imputed to you. And you are able to walk freely into God's holy presence thanks to Jesus Christ. Do you know how monumental uh, Christ's priestly work uh, really was? That right now at this moment, you, if you have placed saving faith in Jesus Christ, have an audience 
with the God of the universe 24-7. And so the text tells us we can draw near to Him with boldness, with confidence. That word confidence in verse 19 has this nuance of boldness, of complete freedom, of full authorization. Can you believe that? This is great, great news for us. This is a great reminder. It's a great privilege that Christ has purchased for us. That if you sit here, a follower of Jesus, this complete freedom to approach God, to enter into His presence, the God of the universe is yours here and now. It has already been purchased. It is a current reality. Yet like the original audience of this letter to the Hebrews, you and I still need the exhortation, this reminder, this piece of encouragement because our lives don't always reflect the fact that this great privilege is ours. We still need encouragement. We still need exhortation because life's hard. We doubt. We struggle. We have discouragements that are very real. Maybe spiritually you sit here after just... uh, trying and exhausting 2012 and you kind of feel like one of those war-worn English soldiers. Tired, dejected. The circumstances of your life just sort of seem stacked against you. Well, if that's you, hear this this morning. Take heart in what Jesus has made possible for you and be renewed in your love for God. So because of Christ, sinners like you and I might have confidence to enter into the holy presence of God because our account is no longer stained with the blackness and the filth of our own sin. It shines clean with the purity and the perfection of our high priest, Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus, we might know and receive true life with God. Amazing. So since all of this is true, with this foundation of Jesus Christ's priestly work in place, the text is now going to appeal for Christians, for you and I, to, to apply the blessings of Jesus' high priestly ministry to our daily lives. He is going to exhort us to apply the blessings of Jesus Christ's high priestly ministry to our daily lives. And so this great exhortation continues. And we are told in verse 22 to draw near to God. The text says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near. And remember, we're only able to draw near to God because Jesus Christ first made free access to God possible for us. But what does it mean to draw near? Uh, Well, we talked about it a little bit in our series of uh, working through James. uh, But it means we can turn to Him in closeness and intimacy, that we can spend real intimate time with Him in prayer and in studying His Word and Scripture. That we can rely upon Him. We can confide in Him. We can trust in Him. We can cling to Jesus Christ. And in what manner do we draw near? It says, with a true heart with genuine, real, authentic, full faith, purified, washed, clean. 
When these Old Testament priests had to draw near into the the Holy of Holies, they had to ritually cleanse themselves before entering into God's holy presence. But we have been washed clean once and for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are clean. We can enter. We can draw near. We can have relationship with Him. And it's important to draw near to God because life is really, really hard. And we need Him. Flip back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. And God's Word reads, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know that as your high priest, Jesus Christ can sympathize with your every weakness? That He has been tempted in every way that you are, only He was perfect in those temptations? Uh, it says that if you are in need, if you need help in this life, that you can draw near, not just draw near, but draw near with confidence, knowing that you might receive the mercy and the grace that only Jesus Christ can provide for you. So here's what you can do in 2013. Enter. Enter into God's holy presence every single day. Draw near to Him. Now the first step in that, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord, if you've never placed saving faith in Him, is to confess Him as Lord, to confess your sins to Him, to uh, ask Him to save you, to welcome Him into your heart as your Lord and Savior. Trust Him. Trust Him as your Savior, as your great High Priest. And once you do that, you receive forgiveness. You receive access to God the Father. And then enjoy Him. Enjoy relationship with Him. Spend time with Him. Get to know Him. Walk with Him. Love Him. Enjoy Him. This access to God, which is our great blessing and privilege, was costly. It cost Jesus Christ, our great prophet, priest, and king, His life. So draw near to Him. Make the most of this great access to God. If you don't know where to start, I really encourage you, grab one of those those read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year pieces of paper. It'll just help you have some structure, keep you accountable. You need to be spending time with the Lord. Draw near to Him in 2013. Let's enter into God's presence daily through Christ. Remember, you can live for Jesus because Jesus died and He lives for you. So the exhortation continues. And we are told in verse 23 to hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now this drawing near that we just talked about helps us to hold fast. That we can't hold fast in our own strength, right? We need the strength of God. So draw near. Trust Him to enable your steadfastness. Now it says draw or hold fast to this your confession of hope. What is our confession of hope, do you think? Well, our confession of hope is our faith in Jesus Christ. Hold it fast. 
Don't forsake your faith. Don't forsake it. Hold it fast. And the text tells us to hold it fast without wavering. And this is important because we struggle and we doubt and we wander away and we're subtly tempted to forsake Him. But this year, let us be a people that endure, that persevere, that are steadfast, that hold fast in the faith. Verse 23 is just so important for us to absorb this morning. Because there are a million things in your life that are seeking to distract you away from God. The busyness of your jobs, the complication of relationships, the stress of finances, and on and on and on. There are a million things in your life that are seeking to tempt you away from Him. The subtle allure of sin and so on and so forth. But don't waver. Stand fast. Because Jesus, who endured all of this, making all of these great privileges and blessings available to you, He is faithful. Now this past year, as a, as a congregation, we've... We've seen a lot of really good times, right? We've had, man, just awesome blessings together and we've been able to celebrate things together and just had a lot of really exciting, fun, encouraging, great times. Um, But this past year, our congregation has also seen some really tough times, huh? I'm sure some come right immediately to mind. Um, There have been tragic deaths of loved ones. There have been deep internal and emotional struggles. Um, Some have struggled with sin that has just threatened to break your spirit and tear apart your soul. And winning those battles every day has been really hard. Um, Some of you have wrestled with God trying to work out what a life of obedience really looks like. And and you're really seeking after God's will and you're struggling to discern what that's going to be and how to live that out. And it's hard and Tough, hard times we've seen this year. Chances are this next year, we're going to see some tough times as well. But in the midst of it all, let us be a people who hold fast to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. A hope for the abused whose heart has just been broken and trampled that God loves you more than words could ever, ever say. A hope for the sick and for the struggling, for the single mom, for the unemployed, for the burdened, for the afflicted. That by God's grace we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls as we read in Hebrews 10.39. A hope for the Christian who has real doubts and spiritual questions. That you have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken regardless of your questions and your doubts. A hope for those of you who feel the heaviness of life weighing down upon you that Jesus Christ, your great high priest, lives and He promises to return in power and glory for you. We cling to this hope in 2013 without wavering. Why? Not because we have any strength in us, but because our God is faithful. And because of everything Jesus has already accomplished for us. So draw near to Him. Hold fast your faith in 2013. Hold fast because Jesus is faithful. And the exhortation continues. And we are told in verse 24 to consider one another. 
Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Now, God created us to be relational beings and His plan for His people was to live out our lives in the context of community. It's really pretty awesome. Um, And the text tells us that we are to be stirring each other up to love and to good works. Now, when I read through um, that verse about stirring each other up, I always... I just have this picture in my mind of this very clear pond, very still, just waters like glass and just like very still. And uh, you can see to the bottom, the water's very clear. <clears throat> and you step in, and what happens? The water ripples. And you step down, and the sediment just starts whirling around and moving. And what was once just still and stagnant and is now moving and active and being swirled around and stirred up. Well, in a similar way, we are to step into each other's lives, stirring up each other's faith, encouraging each other to love God, to love others, to obey God, to worship Him with our good works. And we read in verse 25 that we can't possibly stir each other up in that way unless we are meeting together. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now we don't want to neglect meeting together because we want to stir each other up to love and to good works. And the text says don't neglect to meet together. Um, I think a few, few weeks, a few months ago, Josh mentioned this passage in one of his sermons and he said, this is the, the classic text the preacher goes to when they want to make people feel bad about not going to church. And um, it really is. I mean, that really is the case. A lot of preachers will convict you about church and they'll go right to this text. Um, but what's really going on here is they're not mentioning, it's not so much being directed toward weekly church attendance. The text doesn't say, pastor or preacher, stir up the people once a week. It says, meet, meet, stir each other up. It's a charge for all of us to be doing this. It's more about referring to doing life together. And it says that the habit of some is to neglect this. That being okay regularly not meeting together in the community of believers is a bad habit that needs to be broken. Maybe that's you today. Maybe it's not. But the encouragement, the exhortation is to meet together to stir up one another to love and to good works. And the text continues on saying, encourage, exhort one another. It says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging one another. He says it again. It's so important. And it's important throughout the entire letter to the Hebrews. Uh, We read in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving spirit leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Isn't it a cool charge that we have received to help each other stay faithful to our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Helping each other stay away from sin. 
Aren't you thankful when you're struggling with something and a brother or sister in Christ comes alongside you and encourages you and, pu- and just constantly directs you back to Jesus and walks through something with you and it's just encouraging and the help is so necessary? Aren't you thankful when someone does that for you? Aren't you thankful for the chance to walk alongside a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling and have the great privilege to help them, to walk alongside them, to point them ever closer to Christ, to, to, to uplift their faith when they're going through something tough? I mean, the dynamic of the Christian community is just amazing when it looks the way God wants it to look. So we are encouraged uh, to encourage one another, to stir each other up, to exhort one another, The text says, all the more. I just so love this, that we're to encourage each other more and more and more and more and more because Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is coming soon. It's incredible. So remember, you can live for Jesus because Jesus died and He lives for you. So that's the exhortation. Uh, With the new year upon us, I just want to encourage you. Set your eyes on Jesus. Who He is. What He has made possible for you. Who you are in Him. And how you can live for His glory. And like the English soldiers who, who heard King Henry's impassioned plea, his impassioned exhortation to keep fighting, and then they responded with this renewed vigor, We will be well served to take in this exhortation from the book of Hebrews this morning and to respond in a similar manner. Just know that because Jesus, our great high priest, has made access to God our Father possible, let's draw near, let's hold fast, let's consider one another in 2013. Remember in the new year that we can live for Jesus because Jesus died and He lives for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Father, your, uh, your word is precious. And Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, caring enough about us to, to speak to us today. Father, we reflect back on the work of Jesus Christ and his ongoing work. And Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you made the ultimate sacrifice. You went to the cross on our behalf, Father. We thank, you, uh, we thank You, Jesus, that You lived to intercess for us. We praise You. We, we glorify Your name. Your name is the name above all other names. We worship You this morning. And let the truth of what You've done for us, making access to God possible, forgiving us, washing us clean, let all of that change the way we live. I pray that you will take the people of Charles River Church. You will cause us to draw near to you. You will cause us to hold fast. And you will cause us to consider one another in the new year. We love you dearly. We thank you so much. In Christ's name, amen.